Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for good morning. Thank you, God, for good songs that mean something to us, that are based on truth and stir our hearts. God, thank you for baptism, seeing that water stirred. and Thank you, God, for people who say they want to believe on Christ and go public with that. Father, we ask that here today you would build us up in faith, that we would know what you say and that we would be those that believe it. We ask for that. Make this happen today, God, through your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you have a Bible, please turn to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. If you didn't bring a Bible, you can use one of those black pew Bibles there in front of you, and it'd be page 917. Matthew 27, page 917. Last week, we started a series uh, for Easter, a four-part series. It's going to cover Jesus is mocked. That's what I preached on last week, and it's all going to come from right here, Matthew 27 and 28. Last week, Jesus is mocked. Today, Jesus is crucifixion. Um, Friday, we're having a good Friday service. Uh, Friday is Jesus' death and what that means for uh, the God-man Jesus to die. And then Sunday morning, Easter Sunday right here, uh, the resurrection. Jesus is alive. Jesus lives, okay? Uh, so this is a, this is a four-part series on the, on the Easter theme. Um, and, and one of the things I said last week is I'm, I'm encouraged for you all to be here because while we do know a lot about Christianity and you may understand quite a bit about uh, the Easter season, at times we're all guilty of not actually knowing what the story is or not actually knowing what the Bible says about it. And so that's what we want to do. I want over these, these four s- s- sermons for you to be very much so, no, that is what the Bible says. I want your eyes to be open to, hey, that's really what the story says on Jesus being mocked which we saw last week, and now today on the actual crucifixion. Crucifixion is a big deal. Jesus is dying on the cross. Jesus being nailed to the cross is, we would say, the most important thing in the history of the world, pairing that with his resurrection. This is something that you must deal with. In other words, we need to know your opinion on it. Or rather, More importantly, you need to know your opinion on it. You need to think about what it is that you believe about the the crucifixion. And I know that most people say, well, there's two things in the world you don't talk about, religion and politics. And I'm not so much asking you to talk about religion. I'm asking you to deal with the crucifixion. And our passage today is going to put us right there. We're going to see how people are responding to it. And this is not necessarily... Uh, completely out of the norm, right? People are always asking us for our opinion, right? People are always wanting to discuss something. They want to see where you're at, and if they don't like your opinion, then they'll just let the conversation die, and they'll move on to something else. Well, man, it sure is nice outside today, isn't it? But if you agree with them, and y'all can go down that road of tearing it down, then, then you'll stay there. But people ask us for our opinions all the time, right? I've been asked probably a hundred times already what I think about the uh, presidential elect situations. Everybody wants to know your opinion on Donald Trump. A little closer to home, everybody has an opinion on our Fairdale roundabout that is now underway, right? We see the construction going on. People ask you, well, what, what do you think about that? Is that going to be good? Do you like it? 
This is, this is normal. We're used to people saying, hey, what do you think about this? But today I want to ask you, if you would, to think about the crucifixion. And I even want to ask you, if you would, even in your home, to challenge yourselves to make a decision on what you think about the crucifixion. I, I would say don't, don't let yourself go to bed tonight without saying, so, so what, what did you think about Josh's sermon today? What, what do we think about the crucifixion? What does our family think about the crucifixion? What are our children going to believe about the crucifixion? And that's where we need to be, and our passage today will take us there. I think everybody in here knows, okay, that there are some things that we may gloss over and say, well, I don't know. You know, it's not that big of a deal to me. I really just don't think about it that much. But when we talk about a man, an innocent man, being nailed to a cross, we probably should talk about it. We probably should think about it. You need to. And our passage today is going to take us there. I'm asking you today, the crucifixion, what's your take on it? Hey, what do you think about it? Read with me, if you will, at Matthew chapter 27, beginning of verse 32. We'll read all the way to 44. Matthew 27, verse 32 to 44. I want to remind, before I read, I want to remind you the verse before that that we finished with last week. It says, verse 31, And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. Everybody see that? They led him away to crucify him. So, starting in our passage today, verse 32, they're on their way to do that. Verse 32, As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, they compelled this man to carry his cross. When they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall, but when he tasted it, he would not drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from that cross. Come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, he saved others, he cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now. If he desires him, for he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers, this is an interesting verse. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. The passage by itself set apart from what I'll preach next Sunday with him actually dying, and set apart from what I preached last Sunday with the mocking, the passage by itself just seems to tell us some information. It doesn't really seem to be all that heavy because uh, right there in verse... Um, right there in verse... 
Well, right there, verse 35, it says, and when they had crucified him, it, it seems to just pass over the actual crucifying. I want you to know that, as I've already said, the crucifixion is the most important thing. All four Gospels include this. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John include the crucifixion. It's that important. And I'm asking you today, what is your take on it? We need to see that Jesus, this man that you know so much about, this man who claims to be God, this man who lived to teach us, who we know of nothing wrong that he ever did, this man was killed in a torturous way. One of the worst ways that people can die that the world has ever known, Jesus was killed. So we need to take that in and understand why is this happening? Well, you know that the Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not die but have eternal life, which lets us know that there's something in God's giving of Jesus that alters death. There's something in God's giving of Jesus that changes up death. My death, your death, his death, it changes things. And so we have to do something with the crucifixion. We have to come to it, make a decision. We have to see whether it's that big of a deal to us. Does it matter to us? What do we believe about it? If it's a loving thing that God did so that you may not perish. You may perish, you may not perish. This is what the crucifixion is. Augustine in the 4th century said that the cross is the pulpit where God preached his love for the world. The cross is the pulpit where God preached his love for the world. God loves us. How do we know that? Because he killed his son for our sins. That's love. I want to walk through this passage today. I want us to just get the, get the information here. I want us to understand the setting and the plot. Then I want to see a couple responses to it right here in our passage and then be done with it. And then I want to show you in other parts of the Bible people who get what's happening at the cross. I'm asking, what's your take on it? So let's walk through it. Jesus, after all the flogging and the scourging and the mocking and all of that stuff, is now too worn out to be able to carry the cross. The part, of, part of what's going on in the crucifixion is to completely humiliate the person. That, that's part of it. it. It's not only a very painful, awful way to die, it's also humiliating, very embarrassing. After all of that beating and spitting and plucking of the beard and whipping him in the back and all that goes on with that... Then they make him carry his cross through town, out of town, past everybody, to this place called Golgotha where they will kill him. It's just to humiliate you through and through. Well, Jesus, so worn out, couldn't carry his cross. So they chose a man named Simon of Cyrene. The Bible doesn't tell us much about him, but that's who it was. And they compelled this man to carry his cross. When they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, there is where they're going to kill him. There at that place. It's a real place. You can, you can actually go there. I've never been there, but you can. And while they're doing that, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall, which is, is to be just something very bitter. 
But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. Now, there are a couple different reasons for why Jesus didn't drink this that people, people offer. I'm not really sure. I don't even think we need to know exactly why he didn't. Some people say that it was a drink to torture him even worse, and so Jesus just said no, that it was a nasty drink, something that he didn't want. He would have taken it if it tasted good or if it was some water or something like that, but since it was so nasty, it was just another uh, type of punishment, so he just refused. Some people say that this, that this mixture is something like a, like a liquor that will kind of make you numb to pain. And they give that to people on the cross to kind of numb them out. So people say that Jesus refused that because part of what Jesus was doing was keeping himself together to take in the full aspect of redeeming us. One, one, one scholar even says that Jesus did not want to mess himself up at all so that he would be able to have conversations with the thieves that are on the other crosses. He didn't want to just all of a sudden go numb or, or be drunk or be out of mind because he knew he needed to talk to them. Jesus was not talking much. He certainly was not talking to those who were going to crucify him. He did not stop them from crucifying him, but he did have conversation with the other thieves on the cross. Either way, it says here, he would not drink it. Verse 35, when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. This seems to be customary. The Psalms tell us of this. They take the stuff and pass it out. Somebody wants his shirt and somebody wants this. They, they want to have his stuff. Verse 36, then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And just sit down and watch. See how long it takes him to die. Now, it says there that they had crucified him. I want to explain that. Some people talk about a cross as being a T, one big piece of wood that goes like this, and then another piece that goes like that. Sometimes it is a cross like that, but like a, like a capital T. But we don't think that that's what Jesus died on because the Bible tells us in just a little bit that they hung a sign above his head, Right? How would you hang a sign above his head if the crossbar is just at his shoulders? So it seems like he has one of those crosses that's like a lowercase t that maybe went up above his head, right? And there is the sign above him. And every picture you've ever seen has that, right? The wood sticking up there, and then the, the sign is on there. So that's, that's what it seems. What they would do is they would lay down this cross here. It's really big. And they would lay him on top of the cross... And they take these big, giant nails, these, these, these stakes that are called nails, and they would hold his hand out and, and, and nail it in. If you've ever seen one of these movies, maybe The Passion of the Christ, they, they try to show you that. And he was nailed into the hand, but I want to I show you that the, the bones and stuff that's inside of your hand are so small and, and just really not that strong that he probably was not nailed in here. If you put a giant nail into there and then hung you from it, your hand would just tear apart. So we believe that he went right here through the wrist, right where those two bones are like that, and almost just kind of hung him there on these two bones that split right here in your wrist. You get it inside of those bones, he'll hang there forever unless those bones break. So did it like that, put this arm out, did it like that, and then they, they crossed his legs over and they drove a giant stake nail through both legs and into the tree. Now, for as awful as that sounds and as painful as that would be, that won't kill you. It may eventually, but that doesn't kill you. The thing about crucifixion is that being nailed to the cross is not the worst part. 
The worst part is you're up there trying to survive. And so he's like this, and, 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 but he's not standing up. He's kind of hanging like this. And if you look at a picture, they kind of look like this. But then when he's down and the further down he is and the farther up his arms are, he can't breathe. So he pushes up like this to breathe. <sighs> but what's he pushing on? When he's down like this and he pushes up, what's he pushing on? A nail that is through both legs. Can you imagine? And he gets to there and he breathes. <sighs> and then he's so give out. Remember, he was so give out he couldn't carry the cross. And so after he catches his breath, he's boom, back down like this. So give out. You know, it also tells us that they were offering him drink, that they, that they did it on a stick. So we've, we kind of get this picture that the, that the cross was big and it's before people, almost a spectacle for people to look at. And instead of going over to somebody and just saying, hey, would you like a drink, like it was this something right here, you picture this big cross where it's at least taller than us, and they come and they get something wet like a sponge, and they put it on a stick, and they, they, they put it up to him. Now, it doesn't tell us how high, but we're at least picturing higher because they used a stick. That's what happened. Now, since they were crucified on a Friday, it was important that they die on that Friday because the next day was Saturday the Sabbath, and you don't do any work on a Saturday the Sabbath. That's what they're supposed to do. You don't work. So it's important for these people to die. So what would happen if somebody was tough and they had not been through a lot? See, most criminals had not been through anything. Remember, Jesus is going through all of that because the governor, Pilate, thought he didn't need to die. Remember that? We talked about that last week. The governor, Pilate, says, I don't see why we should kill this man. He wanted to let him go. But the people wanted him crucified. So Pilate thinks, if we wear him out, beat him up, make him, humiliate him, do enough to him, then maybe they won't want me to kill him, we'll just let him go. Jesus went through more than the average person that's crucified. The average person that's crucified just walks and, and, and carries their cross and gets crucified, but not Jesus. But normally what happens is they're hanging on the cross and, and they, they last for a long time. And if you can see that it's about to get dark, you know what they do? The Bible says they take a stick, and as they're hanging there, they break their legs. Just imagine this is, is brutal way to kill, kill somebody. Now, it's punishment for criminals, but they will take a stick. I don't think they had baseball bats then, but they take a stick and break the person's legs. If your legs are broken, guess what you don't have to do anymore? You don't push up. So once they break your legs, you're just like this, just a matter of time. If they break your legs, you're going to die very quickly. But the Bible says in the Psalms that they would not break one of Jesus' bones. But it's customary to break the legs. Jesus was so worn out, he died. And when they went to break the thieves' legs, and they went to break the other thieves' legs, and they got to Jesus, and they're about to break his legs, and he's already dead. They didn't break his legs. The Bible had said that they would not break his legs. And they did not break his legs. When they saw that he was dead, they said, well, just to make sure, let's, let's stab his side. So they took a sword and stabbed it in his side and found out he really was dead. Dead. They crucified him. Now, we don't like it when anybody dies. I mean, I'm standing up here talking about death like it's something we're real used to or that we like, and it's not. If you've ever lost any loved one, this is very heavy stuff. We're talking about the crucifixion of Jesus. Now back to verse 36. 
Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. So they're, they're sitting watching. Verse 37, And over his head they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Okay? Something else. Normally, they put up there what you're guilty of. Thief, robber, this, that, whatever you are. They put that up there. But Pilate had already said, we don't have anything on him. No, no sin to put up there that he's done. I don't know what he's guilty of to be able to kill him. So the sign they put on Jesus says, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. That's who Jesus said he was. That's what he's being killed for. I'm going to ask you what you think about it. What's your take on it? Verse 38. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. So if you ever wondered why Jesus is always the one in the middle, it's because it says he was the one in the middle. Verse 39. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So here's some people's response to it. They're, they're passing by. They're not that into it. There's some people who are sitting there just watching, and we wonder what they think about it, right? But then there's other people that are just passing by. Oh, some more criminals crucified today. It's kind of like us watching the news, and we hear about people dying, and you're just walking by. Huh? Oh, that guy in the middle, I know him, king of the Jews. Yeah, he's the one who said that he was going to rebuild the temple. He's the one who said that in three days he would build it back. Yeah, I know him. He's the one that said that he was God. Yeah, that guy in the middle. They're, they're making fun of him. They, the, the Bible says that they are deriding him. But I want to remind you that they don't understand. And this is what I'm getting at, not only with what Jesus said, but also with the crucifixion, folks. You have to understand. I, I know it works sometimes for elementary school kids when they don't do what they're supposed to do or they get something totally wrong. They can say, well, well I didn't know any better or I didn't understand, and we, we give them a pass. But I, I want to really truthfully, in an honest way, I want to warn you today that when you and I stand before God, which we're going to, there is not going to be, well, well I didn't understand. We, we, we need to understand. We need to understand that Jesus died for us, for our sins, in his love for us. And so, we got some people sitting here watching, and we got some coming by. They didn't understand what he had meant. When Jesus said, I'll, you'll destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it back, he was not talking about the temple where they worshipped. He was talking about the temple of his body, and he had explained that, but they didn't understand it. So they're going to tear this temple down, kill his body, but in three days he will raise it back up. His body will be back. He will be alive. He will have defeated sin and death. Nevertheless, they didn't understand. They walk by. They're wagging their heads, shaking their head. They say, why don't he save himself? If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. And, and isn't that so common, right? Don't you hear people say all the time, and we could go on and on, well, if God was this way, why did he do this? Or if God was this way, why doesn't he do this? And if God was this way, why did he let that happen? And if God was this way, why let... And people want to say like they know better than God on why God does what he does. Right? I can't even figure out why my wife does what she does. Who are we to question God doing why God's doing what he's doing? 
especially if we don't understand our need for forgiveness. If you're here today, I want to be very clear on this. Would you admit that you have sinned against God? You won't understand the cross of Christ and the crucifixion if you still think that you don't sin. If you still think that you don't do things wrong. If you still think that it's not against God. The Bible says that we have sinned against God. And this is what puts the crucifixion into perspective. They were making fun of him. They were saying, if you're the Son of God, come down from the cross. Can you see how much they don't understand? If he comes down off that cross and doesn't die, how are we going to be saved? Where's our forgiveness going to come from? Do you really want him to come down? Do we want him to get up off the... Do we want him to do like some superhero and, and bust out of the nails and say, I, I heard you wagging your head and saying that to me. Well, here I am. Guess what? Who's the boss now? I am God. See, I told you. Nobody tells me. See, if he does something like that, what, what's that going to accomplish? Are they going to say, okay, now I believe? Believe in what? The answer is not believing in God. The answer is being forgiven of God because Jesus died for you. The Bible makes it very clear. There's lots of people that believe and don't be forgiven of their sins. The Bible makes it very clear that the devil believes and won't be saved from his sins. That the demons believe and won't be saved from their sins. Believing in God must, leave, must lead us to a place where we understand that God put his son on that cross for our sins, and then you and I say, that happened for my sins. Oh God, forgive me. I love you for what you're doing. My friend from college, Alex Early, who's written some books, says, the only way to be in God's family, which I know is what you want, the only way to be in God's family is to own the fact that you don't deserve to be in God's family. That's the only way. He died for my sins. Oh no, that's bad of me. I sinned. But that's great of God. He loves me. God, thank you for Jesus dying on the cross for me. God, I repent of my sins. God, I pray that you would forgive me and that you would help me to stop sinning. That's what Christianity is. They didn't understand. If you're really God, come down. God doesn't have to prove himself. Had an awesome conversation in our college small group, our college Bible study this week, about proving yourself. You have to prove yourself when you feel like you're not proven. That's just the way life goes. If you're still walking around trying to prove yourself, that's because you feel like you're not proven. If you know you're proven, you don't have to prove anything. That's just the truth. When they said, if you're really God, come down, let me tell you, Jesus didn't think for one second about saying, yeah, I need to show him. He didn't even consider that. He's God. If you're still thinking, I've got to prove myself to somebody, it's because you know you're not proven. It's because you've got a low self-esteem, a low picture of yourself. You're believing what everybody else says about you instead of what you believe about yourself, instead of what God believes about you. Jesus is not phased by our peer pressure. Jesus knew what God had called him to do. He was fulfilling the mission, and we're all better off because of it. Let's keep going. Verse 41. So after the people are sitting down watching and the, those walking by wagging their heads are watching, so also, verse 41, the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and, he, and, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires for him. For he said, I am the son of God. Now, there's a lot of people out there that just say wrong, inappropriate, inconsistent, false things about 
Jesus. Here we have several comments in a row. He saved others. He cannot save himself. Hey, let me encourage you to not make a big, strong opinion if you're not right about it. Okay? I know everybody's got an opinion, but think about it, then really think about it, spend a night to sleep on it, then think about it a little bit more before you make a big, bold judgment statement. These people are voicing all these opinions about Jesus on the cross, and none of them are right. He saved other people, but he can't save himself. He, he can save himself. What makes you think he can? What if he wants to stay on the cross? Right? What if there's a bigger purpose in him staying on the cross? What if it's the plan of God for him to stay on the cross? What if Jesus just wants to stay on the cross? This opinion doesn't make sense. But that's what they're doing because they don't understand the cross. Verse 44, And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Listen, that's why I said this verse is key. Both guys on both sides, according to Matthew, were also making fun of him. So we've got several passages here that are telling us about people that just don't get the cross. Now, there before the, 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 the resurrection, we know that even the, the believers scattered at this point. That Saturday after the crucifixion was a lonely, dark day. We don't really have anything about it. The resurrection puts that all into perspective, and we're living post-resurrection. In the book of Acts, and you don't have to turn there, I just want to tell you a couple of verses. Acts chapter 2, Peter's preaching, and he wants them to deal with the crucifixion. Listen to what he says. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, the man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified. Does everybody see that? Some of them may have been there. Some of them may not have been there. Peter wants them to deal with the crucifixion. I want you today to deal with it. He preaches here in Acts chapter 2 and says, hey, hey, let me tell you something. You remember that guy that died on the cross? You killed him. You killed him. And they're going to say, I, I wasn't even there. What are you talking about? They, they did. I didn't drive the nail. They're going to try to back out of it. Jesus is going to say, no, your sins killed him. You jump over to chapter 4 in the book of Acts, and he's, he's preaching again. Just listen to this. He says, Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified. This is the second time he's preaching in the book of Acts, and he's pointing the finger again. You killed him. And I know y'all don't like it if I'm pointing at you, so, so I won't. I want us all to point at ourselves and say, no, my sins killed him. I want you to realize, I want you to admit that, so that you would deal with the crucif crucifixion in the right way. He says, you crucified him. He says, but God raised him from the dead. And by this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. Now listen to verse 12. This is why you must deal with the crucifixion. Verse 12 says, and there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus is the only way for you to be saved, and that is because of the crucifixion. You must deal with it. You must. This is not, I don't talk about religion and politics. This is, I can't get over this. We must deal with it. I know we've never talked about it before. We've been married 40 years, but it's time to deal with it. I know it's pretty common to say, hey, there's just one God and, and all paths lead to the same God. That's not true. I do want to tell you this, though. All paths do lead to the same place. It's just not to God. W will you admit that today? 
How can something as huge as a sinless man who is God being crucified on the cross be null and void and us say that all paths lead to the same place? It's not true. It's just not true. All paths lead to the same place, but they are not to God. There is one path that leads to God. There is salvation in no one else, Jesus. And it's because of his crucifixion. So here we have, going back to our passage of Matthew 27, we have the crucifixion laid out before us, explained. You've got people standing there watching him, waiting for him to die. You've got passerbys wagging their head, going, this guy thinks he's God, whatever. You've got other people making fun of him, the chief priests still mocking him, saying if he really was Jesus, he'd get himself down. He saved others, but he can't save himself. You've got the thieves right there beside him, mocking him, but, but they don't believe. I want to ask you here today, is, is that you? Are you something like that? Are you a wagging your head at, at, at all this Christianity talk? Are you a shaking your head at the idea that the Bible says that there is salvation in no one else and hinges it all on his death, burial, and resurrection? Which are you? Are you one of those dads today that will go home and the kids are going to be wondering if you're going to bring it up and you're not going to bring it up? What are you going to do with the crucifixion? What's your take on it? Then I want to show you a few things. I'm going to show you a couple responses. You don't necessarily have to turn there, but just listen. John chapter 19 tells the same story, but I want to show you how, how Pilate just doesn't get it. John chapter 19. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. S- same story that we've read the past two weeks. And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and a purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold the man! When the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. Verse 7. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again, and he said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus did not answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Listen to this question. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? This is a beautiful example of Pilate doesn't understand the crucifixion. Jesus had said nine chapters ago in John chapter 10 to the people who were trying to bully him around, nobody takes my life from me. When it comes time for me to die, it will be because I am laying my life down. Look at the very next verse, verse 11. Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Pilate's ability to crucify him, which he boasted in, Jesus, do you not know I got authority to crucify you, man? Jesus says, you would not have that authority unless God had given it to you. Folks, God is in charge. We ought to be humble before him, saying, God, have mercy upon me, forgive me of my sins. Pilate doesn't understand it. But I want to tell you also about Luke's That's John. We've already seen Matthew. I want to show you Luke now. You don't have to turn there. Luke 23, beginning in verse 39. Do you remember our last verse in Matthew 27, 44, where it says both criminals who were crucified with him were making fun of him, were reviling him? Remember that, verse 44? Look what Luke says. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. So 
that's consistent with what Matthew said. They are reviling him. Verse 40. But the other rebuked him. Can you picture this? I mean, I don't know how much they can lean forward and turn their head and I don't know if they were exactly in line where they could even see each other. I don't know if they're just like this and yelling out so they can hear each other. I don't know. But we've got a scene here of three men in a torturous death talking to each other. Verse 40, but the other rebuked him saying, Do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong and he said jesus remember me when you come into your kingdom and jesus said to him truly i say to you today you will be with me in paradise somehow on the cross by the great mercy of god the thief went from reviling him matthew 27 44 to a change of heart to defending him to the other thief and saying i know that this man has done nothing wrong this death that is happening right now is happening for my sake Hey, thief, I know that you're dying right now, and you should be dying. You're a bum just like me. But Jesus has not done anything wrong. Jesus, when you get to heaven, will you remember me, the sinner? Jesus said yes. His view of the crucifixion changed on the cross. He went from making fun of Jesus to embracing that that needed to happen for him. And that is Christianity. I want to ask you, what's your take on the crucifixion? The cross makes us know that God loves us. Since my kids could talk, I've been teaching them that God loves you. But how do you know that God loves you? I don't want them to hear this blanket statement, God loves you. That does nothing but mess you up. So I ask them, how do you know that God loves you? And there's two answers I want them to be able to say. One, the Bible says that God loves me. I can read where it says he loves me. For God demonstrates his own love toward me in this, while I was yet sinner, Christ died for me. The Bible says that in many ways, that God loves me. But then I also want them to say that I can see that God loves me on the cross. The Bible says it, the cross shows it. If an innocent man died on the cross for sins, then I need to say he did that out of love for me. The rest of the New Testament wants us to see the crucifixion as the most important thing. Romans 6.6, 6, if you're taking notes. Paul says, we know that our old self was crucified with him. You see what he's saying? Paul is saying to the Romans, we see ourselves in the crucifixion because of our sins. In order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we no, would no longer be enslaved to sin. 1 Corinthians 1.23, Paul says, we preach Christ crucified. This is the thing that people must deal with. 1 Corinthians 2, 1 and 2. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. If you want to be a church, then you need to have relationships that are about the crucifixion. If you want to be something other than a church, then we can just have relationships that are based off other things. 
We can be neighbors. We could have graduated from Fairdale High School together. We could love sports together, pull for the same teams. We can do all types of different stuff together in the name of God and let it be whatever it is and let God sort it out at the end. But if we want to be a biblical church, then we hold high the crucifixion of Jesus, say, that happened for me. I'm forgiven of my sins because of it. And then our relationships are built on that. That's a real church. That's what Paul says. In Galatians chapter 5, 24, he says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. The crucifixion means everything to the believer. Galatians 6, 14, he says, But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Perhaps the best one, Galatians 2, 20, if you're taking notes, this is a verse you need to know. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. Paul looks at that cross where Jesus died and says, I'm there. That was for me. I've been crucified with him. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Listen to this. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul feels loved by God when he sees the cross of Christ. Paul knows the love of God because he knows the forgiveness of sins because Jesus died on the cross. The crucifixion makes it all make sense. We often have these conversations about what does our life center on or what does our life revolve around. And for many people, it's work and they work and they work and they work. And for many people, it's their children and, and ball games and that's all they do and that's all they do and that's all they do. But the Bible wants us to see that our lives should be centered upon the crucifixion of Jesus. It makes it all make sense. As we just sang this, the power of the cross Christ became sin for us. He took the blame. He bore the wrath. We stand forgiven at the cross. Jesus was crucified for us. And I want to ask you here today if you've embraced that. Have you acknowledged that that really happened? Jesus died on a cross. Have you said, why did that happen? And have you just tried to walk away from it and, you know, well, wagging your head? Or have you said, maybe there is something to it? And would you see yourself in it? That he died for your sins. And would you run to him and say, God, would you forgive me? May we respond to the crucifixion. I want to ask you, what's your take on it? Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would give us faith that we would deal with the crucifixion. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.